and Sarah talk about songs. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I'm Sarah D. Bunting, and I am here with my co-host, Mark Blankenship. Hello, Mark. Hello. <laughs> oh, no. The British accent. It's back. I don't know why I'm singing that with that. What? I'm not even singing. I'm, you made me crazy. I'm crying, <laughs> and I don't know why. Uh, today, we have a request from Jeremy for Bette Midler's The Rose. Uh, Mark, I'm going to throw to you because uh, I actually don't quite know where to begin, and I need your help. Girl, I know. Oh my god. I have nine or ten different voices in my head talking to me about this particular ditty. Let me just, let, let's start with the basic facts. This is the title song from a Bette Midler film that was released in 1979 and garnered Bette Midler her first of two Oscar nominations for Best Actress. And it was not nominated itself for Best Song from a Movie because it was not expressly written for the film. But it was released in 1980 and it became Bette Midler's second top ten hit. It reached number three on the charts in 1980. And that's about all I can say without coloring my responses. So before we go one second further, let's take a listen. Some say love, it is a river that drowns the tender reed. Some say love, it is a rain. Some say love, it is a hunger, an endless aching need. I say love, it is a flower, and you, it's all. Okay, Sarah, I'm just going to start here. Uh, Bette Midler, as many of you may know, started her career singing in gay bathhouses, and she became known as the body sister of gay men in New York everywhere. And to me, there is nothing that could be less like a gay bathhouse ditty than this particular song which is so unapologetically treacly that I'm almost in awe of it. It doesn't even feel the need to change its structure. We talked about this with Yaz a few weeks ago, but here it's even more overt where it's just three verses in a row. They all have the exact same structure. There's no chorus. There's no bridge. It's just line after line of Hallmark card-esque poetry and then we're out. And there is something so audacious about that to me that I, in a way, respect it. And I can't quite bring myself to say that this is tasty tea, but at the same time, 
I do know every word. So there's also something about the simplistic musical structure, the uh, really, some might say, ham-fisted imagery. There's something about it that I that I can remember when I hear it. It like has some sort of impact on me. And while I do know every word, I'm not sure that I'm enjoying it. It's like, what this? See, I've already talked myself into a corner, Sarah. I just, I, what is going on with this song? <laughs> okay, well, I have two points, and I think they're maybe a little bit related. Um, I'll take the what I have in my notes as the second one first, which is that I still find it very odd that so many kids uh, my age have remember singing this in chorus or for yes. a spring concert as and i'm talking kids like nine ten years old like our esteemed colleague david t cole just told a story on a recent episode of extra hot great or one of the extra hot great minis about singing this song and that this song they were rehearsing something else that was more scandalous but when the vice principal walked past they had to quickly switch to the rose which was considered like the safe song. But then if right. you know really anything about Bette Midler's biography or this movie, that strikes me as weird. And also that this song is clearly this like, you know, raggedy hearted lament. Because another thing that we've spoken about on Mark and Sarah talk about songs, I think in the context of maybe Saturday Night Fever, but also at some other point, was the idea that Bette Midler sort of in the middle of the gay bathhouses and um, like feeling together in her loneliness and alienation with gay men in the late 70s, um, that she, it was supposed to be sort of a safe space for her and she was this sister figure. But then, you know, she packs up her sheet music and goes home by herself um, every night at the end of the night or early in the morning. And there is that, all of that is in this song, which in its construction is very, not even simplistic, just like, you know, <laughs> like it's a, it's the log cabin of songs. Like it doesn't, you know, there's one room, no stories, doesn't really go anywhere. Well, the, so the author of the song, Amanda McBroom, has been quoted as saying, The Rose is just one verse repeated three times. When I finished it, I realized it doesn't have a bridge or a hook, but I couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> and I it's sort like, of, but I think that that's yeah. part of the charm. Like, when you said, like, I'm not enjoying this, but I can't, like, I don't, I'm not sure it's, like, good or bad. Yeah. You're just, like, seeing this... Um emotion that is like crystalline but in the way that crystals are like it's beautiful but also you don't necessarily want to pick it up like it's sharp and it's not delivered all that professionally uh midler's pronunciation leaves her vowels really cramped um she drags out her r's like i'm just trying to imagine your husband listening to this and lamenting oh let me tell you the execution that this is this is a song that my husband does not take kindly to. I to an am almost not like surprised. bold, like 
balled up fist shaking at the sky. I am not surprised. <laughs> um, and her, like, her vibrato, sometimes she, like, loses control of it. It, like, wanders sort of down a half step. But that also feels very real. And something about mm. this song has always um, struck me as, like, this, that you're watching the struggle to maintain hope at, like, 4.33 in the morning. And eventually, you know, the, like, triumph temporarily is achieved over darkness. Like, eventually the sun always comes up, but that you are, you know, there is always that moment in the life cycle of a broken heart where you're like, I just can't get through one more day. Well, you know, I think that you're onto something, you're onto something here, because, again, I don't, I, it's like, I cannot intellectually make an argument for this song, but do I have this song on my iTunes? Yes. Have I had it there for over f- 10 years? Yes. And it is something about the simplicity and honesty that seems to be in her delivery that makes this song not sound treacly. Because if, I feel like if you were to hear someone like, like a Celine Dion or a, I was just going to say, er- mm-hmm. or an air er- who, who might be, someone who might have covered this song right if someone were to really over sing this it would become unbearable but because the 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 self-conscious poetry of the lyrics would sound even more false if someone sang it in a way that was also obviously meant to be impressive because i feel like there's something about the way that the rhymes work in this song that it's more about showing off than it is about being telling a legitimate story i can't put my finger on why i believe that but i do believe it anyway but there's something about bet midler like you said just sounding a little bit desolate and broken and not making any huge notes and even when the choir comes in at the end there she doesn't rise up to soar with them she's just still bet midler and that simplicity does give the song a certain emotional wallop I think it does. I think it does save it. I I cannot argue with um, your husband's objections to the execution, like some of the in the winter, like well, okay, you know, like you gotta, you can't bring the R in until the end. Like, I lasted two years in Corral. Even I knew that. But at the same time, that's the thing that saves the song, that she's right. That what's that quote from? the apocryphal gospel of St. Thomas, the, if you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. If you don't bring it forth, it will destroy you. That there's something about, there's just something about that delivery. That's like, you can hear like the whole history of what brought her to the point of singing this song that like, she's not the prettiest girl. She doesn't have the most friends. And once she's sung this song and like testified, then you know she's gonna put on her coat and scarf and walk home. It's gonna be a little too cold, and she's gonna get in bed with her cat. I don't know. I find it very relatable, but at the same time, I agree with you that it's not exactly enjoyable. Like, right? I, like, it's one of those like so stipulated conversations that it's like I I acknowledge that this song is true and correct, and it's in its emotions and now i must now i must do something else that is more cheery now let me ask you this have there been any notable covers of this song oh 
I'm glad that you asked. Uh, do you ask that question knowing the answer, or are you... I do not uh, I do not know the answer, but I'm interested uh, to hear, once you have told me about some notable covers, I'm interested to ping an idea off you as to like our sort of fantasy fantasy cover of the song. So hit me with some factoids, por favor. All right. So Conway Twitty, country <laughs> superstar, reached reached number one on the country chart in 1983 with a cover of this song. And Sarah, as I live and breathe, he speaks the first few lines of the song oh. in that classic country music way. Some say love. It is th- a river. I think I've actually heard that. And then I think it's it's featured prominently in some it. movie, I think. I, I don't know. But the point is, it's kind of amazing. And then later in 2006, I believe it was, the Irish boy band Westlife reached mm-hmm. number one on the British charts with their version of the song. I feel like I should and have I, known that, but at the same time, I'm glad that I didn't. Well, let's just let's just take a moment and just really... Let's just ponder what those versions mean. All right, Bette Midler has a quick gig to play at a gay bathhouse, so we're going to take a pause to talk about this week's birthday chart reading. And that, of course, is the time when I take a song that was number one on a person's birthday and then extrapolate their destiny from it using pop chart facts and other arcana. And as a reminder, this is, of course, the destiny of someone's success because this is the song that was number one when they were born and therefore is an indicator of the shape that success might take in their lives. This week's reading goes out to Sarah, not our own Sarah, but another Sarah, who is friends with Kat. And Kat wants to offer this as a birthday present because March 23rd, the day this episode will premiere, is her friend Sarah's birthday. Now, Sarah was born on March 23rd, 1982, which means that the number one song for her was Joan Jett and the Blackhearts' I Love Rock and Roll. So let's take a minute to hear some of the song that ushered Sarah into the world. Yes, 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 yes. I hope everyone's heads are banging. And if you're wearing stilettos for some reason, I hope you just use them to kick through a screen door and leave a big hole because that's the only acceptable response to this banging kick-ass song. Now, let's start first, Sarah, with a little information about Joan Jett herself. As you might know, Joan Jett got her start in a band called The Runaways. They were an all-female rock band from the 70s, and their members also included Lita Ford, who went on to Kiss Us Deadly with some hits on her own in the 80s, and Sherry Curry, who went on to join the Bangles, and everyone, of course, knows that they were awesome. Joan Jett, of course, was another one from The Runaways who had massive success. And interestingly, it was because she was on tour with The Runaways in England that she first heard I Love Rock and Roll, which was originally performed by a British group called The Arrows, but it was Joan who made it a massive success. It was number one in America for seven weeks. It was also number one in Australia. It reached the top five in England, etc., etc., etc. And it's an important thing to remember, too, that 
At the time, in 1982, there was a real renaissance for women in rock and roll having chart-topping hits. And if you look at the history of the charts, there are not often a lot of female rockers who get to number one. Women get to number one with pop songs, dance songs, R&B songs, but rock is a little bit harder for them to break into. But at this time, you had Kim Carnes going to number one, you had Bonnie Tyler going to number one, you had Pat Benatar going to number one on the album charts. So Joan Jett really did break through with the class of women around her, but also ended up having a hit that became sustainable forever, I think, because she so clearly sings a song about loving rock and roll. This is a song that was meant for sporting stadiums. Sporting stadiums, listen to me, like I'm a poindexter. Sporting! I like to kick balls into hoops. Uh, for sporting events, for bars, and there's a rawness to it that is so unapologetic that really makes it stand out. And even at the time, the fuzzy production quality of this hit, uh, this refusal to sound overly polished, gave this song a lot of kick and a lot of swagger. Importantly, though, Britney Spears covered this song uh, 20 or so years later, and her version is a little soulless, uh, unsurprisingly. It was used in the movie Crossroads. And then in an interview, she attributed the song to Pat Benatar, which just shows that perhaps she did not know her history. But there's no need, Sarah, for us to get worried about that, because let's talk about how this might apply to you. The way that I see it is... Your success, and this might be personal or professional or something else, it's up to you to discern, but your success is almost certainly rooted in your ability to acknowledge and support your community. Because if you think about it, Joan Jett came from the Runaways, a group of women who were refusing to take the notion that women cannot rock seriously. They decided to prove that that was a bunch of crap, as of course it is. So think about the community that you're in and the ways that they've inspired you, the ways that they've taught you. What community this might be, again, is up to you. But use the lessons that you've taken from them to push yourself out there and do not be afraid once you have stepped out to make a statement that's inspired by your community to be blunt. I love rock and roll is not apologizing for what it loves. And I think that that is a good lesson for you to keep in mind. The more direct you are, the better. Now, you might not get the credit you deserve later from every corner, just as Britney Spears did not know Joan Jett's name, but that's on them. That's not on you. Your legacy is going to be intact. Your ability to make an impact is going to be intact. And if someone doesn't get it, you know, don't beat yourself up and don't be mad at them. Just keep looking to the corners of the world where you, where your community stands strong. Happy birthday, Sarah. And for those of you who might like a pop chart reading of your own or for a loved one, you can feel free to contact us to discuss rates and other information at talksongs at gmail.com. And now, Bette Midler's back from the bathhouse, so let's keep talking about the rose. All right, Sarah, now that we've had time to ponder and perhaps think also about someone's birthday, uh, what would be your thing that you were going to suggest based on the existence of these covers? Well, I'm not totally sure that this would work, and I, but something about the simplicity of her voice, which is beautiful and accomplished, but also might be a little bit too beautiful and accomplished for the likes of this, but I'm imagining Alison Krauss mm. singing it and like picking up the tempo a little so that it's almost yes. like Dolly Parton's cover of I Get a Kick Out of You. I'm just wondering yes. how, how that might sound. Like maybe that's a desecration. Maybe it would be a fantastic kicky little hit. Well, which... you know what? It's interesting. 
Alison Krauss has a wonderful version of Sean Colvin's song, I Don't Know Why. Do you know that song? I don't. So Sean Colvin's I Don't Know Why is a slow, very pretty song, but Alison Krauss records it as an up-tempo bluegrass song, and Uh there's something about removing the weight from from the tempo that lets the song live in a different way when it doesn't sound like it's trying to feel... And it just sort of lets the feeling sneak at you in a different way because it's a little more jaunty. Uh-huh. That suggests to me it would really work if Alison Krauss covered The Rose in the same way. Yeah. Like, if, if this song were not sung in a slow way that is meant to imply the heaviness and importance, quote-unquote, of the emotion, what new joys might we get out of lyrics like, uh, I say, love, it is a flower, and you the only seed? Like, if we were taking it if we were taking it as something a little bit more hopeful or cheery, maybe we would feel, maybe I would enjoy the song, maybe I would enjoy the song rather than just sort of acknowledging its weirdly awesome power. Yeah, or maybe, um, what are those girls called who are on Nashville? The Lennon sisters? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Maisie and something. uh, Stella, I think. Yes. Um, Della, Stella. They had that one song from season one that's just called Hey Ho, I think. It's, By the Lumineers, yeah, yes. Yeah, it's very short. It's like under two minutes. And I always um, I always thought that I would like love to use that. I didn't end up doing this, as you can attest. But uh, using that as either my processional or recessional at my wedding. Because I just thought it was mm. such a joyous, like, you know, here we are together. And because we're together, we're in the center of everything. And I, I just am imagining this, like, sort of kicky, like, build to the third verse where there would be, like, hand yes. clapping and, like, that little giggle maybe that Dolly puts at the end if I get a kick out of you. That it would it would remove it from this, like, lament of, um, lament of the lonely redhead place and make it more of a just happy celebration song and well i am not capable of making this kind of thing happen but if anyone would like to re-record it and send it in we would love to talk about your song well because then too you would transfer the song into the realm of the communal sing-along which we talked about in our lefty folk songs episode but the kind of structural the structural simplicity would become a benefit which to is the song why, if it absolutely was... and that must be why that they would always have kids sing it because it's like yeah this isn't complicated there's not a key chain key change there's like the rhymes are very straight ahead and you can memorize it for the show so right but and if you think about that like in the third verse of the up-tempo version we're all supposed to jump in i feel like then i actually like the communal act of saying lies a seed that with the sun's love in the spring becomes the rose could actually be really moving. Yeah. And then there's like choreography where you are all in like this Fibonacci spiral while wearing various shades of red and pink. And then you're shot from above and it's like Busby Berkeley. Oh my God. Yes. Oh, Sarah, this is crazy. Like, I think that this helps me articulate for myself that I think the reason I've always had a love-hate relationship with this song is that I do, in some level, find the simple, honest, uh, poetically constructed evocations of love to be quite lovely. But then the earnestness of the arrangement kind of 
sets me back a bit. But then if I could get this arrangement, maybe the things I like about the song, I could just enjoy more freely. Okay, like Sarah said, if anybody wants to record this version of the song, we will talk about it, boo. Oh, yes. And please do not confine yourself to a uh, plucky bluegrass square dance hoedown version um oh my god we would do a whole episode of rose covers hip-hop i don't care (laughs) tubin throat singing maybe yes the line oh boy all right well listeners you have your assignment and when we speak to you uh next we will not be covering tubin throat singing or the rose covers but we hope that you will enjoy our next episode which is mark Oh my god, I can barely say it aloud. For our special 50th episode, we will be ranking every song on the Indigo Girls self-titled album. Ah! (laughs) 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 Alright, Mark is going to lie down with a cold cloth. We're going to work on that, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening. Now get to singing the rose. Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. Today's theme song was written by David Gregory Byrne, and you can dig more of his chili at davidgregoryburn.com. If you'd like to place an ad, request a song, or arrange for Mark, me, to read your pop chart horoscope, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at talksongs at gmail.com, tweet us at talksongs, or hit up our Facebook page at facebook.com slash mastus.podcast. And if you like the podcast, let us know. Leave us a positive review on iTunes or the podcast download interface of your choosing. And please download the music you hear legally. Yes. So until next time, this is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this. And this. Is Mark and Sarah. Is Mark and Sarah. Talk about songs. Talk about songs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.